Hello, uh, welcome to this episode of Oncology Data Advisors Fellows Forum. This is a new resource featuring expert perspectives geared towards hemocology and medical oncology fellows. Today, I'm humbled to be joined by Dr. Ana Velasquez-Manana. Um, she carries several titles, a few of which I'll mention here. She's an assistant professor of medicine in the UCSF Division of Hematology Oncology at the Zuckerberg San Francisco General. She's a thoracic oncologist at the UCSF Helen Diller Family Comprehensive Cancer Center, and she's also the Assistant Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility for Trainees of the UCSF Helen Diller Family Comprehensive Cancer Center. Dr. Velasquez Manana, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited. Likewise, likewise. So um, on today's edition of the Fellows Forum, we were hoping to discuss a little bit about how the COVID pandemic actually affected trainees in hematology and medical oncology specifically. We know from taking care of patients with cancer that the pandemic has had several effects, including delayed diagnosis, difficulty in accessing treatments, complications from disease, and et cetera. But we thought it would be really important to highlight the toll that the pandemic has taken on trainees. Since you and I have both uh, transitioned through our training at various uh, stages, as well as portions of the pandemic, I thought it would be wonderful to have you on today. So with that kind of introduction, let's go ahead and jump into some of the questions that we can discuss for our audience. Uh, Dr. Velasquez Manana, what are some of the clinical challenges trainees face during the height of the pandemic? That's a great question, um, Dr. Karev. I think, you know, it is, it depended a lot of geography and location. As we know, the pandemic hit in different stages and different severity, different areas of the country. So we heard from many of our friends in the Northeast, in New York, Boston areas, um, that they were, you know, moved from their oncology rotations towards having to serve in inpatient medicine or ICU um, and really be part of those frontline workers that were seeing patients who were severely sick with COVID every day. Um, and that adds challenges when you, you know, have moved on from your time as an intern or a resident in the ICU and all that you remember nowadays is oncology to going back to managing ventilators and doing things that may feel at this point kind of out of your spectrum of practice, right? Um, and primarily when we know that some of those teams were also supervising physicians and working with physicians who may have never been um, in an inpatient um, setting. Um, I think that that was definitely quite a challenge for many of the trainees who had that experience. Um, and even when we think about our you know, day-to-day -day oncology activities, we moved a lot of the inpatient um, work and treatments into completely outpatient and, and remote, really, um, because everything was shut down from surgeries to not being able to get, you know, CT scans or PET scans or biopsies for patients um, and definitely not be able to do what would be considered, you know, elective admissions, which we can debate what that truly means, um, but a lot of the core of what our regular day-to-day -day in, in oncology training and services would look like um, really change into either being completely virtual and remote or also primarily just outpatient-based. 
Yeah, certainly. Like you've outlined, there were just so many ripple effects throughout all of healthcare. And then as you also touched on in cancer care specifically, there's just been several kind of unforeseen consequences. Reflecting on my own experience, I remember being pulled to the emergency room for several months in 2020 and kind of joking that I should have gotten board certified in emergency medicine as well, given all the clinical experience I had there. But as we addressed seriously, there was a lot of clinical challenges that trainees face. So thanks for sharing that. One of the positives or silver linings is we've expanded so much um, the use of like virtual visits to see patients and being able to connect with people that are in their home. Um, And I think that that facilitates care, honestly, a lot and it provides more patient centered care. Um, So even though it has had challenges, like one of those positives that comes with clinical care is now people are trained to do this. Now we know what the rules are to provide, you know, video visits or telephone visits, and you feel a little bit more comfortable with that that you did before. Um, I don't know what your experience is, but still in our cancer center, there's still quite a bit of telemedicine that is happening. Um, And I see it as a way to really, you know, expand access when we think about disparities in care for people that live in remote places or who may have challenges socioeconomically to be able to drive um, and come to the office, et cetera. Yes, without a doubt, uh, looking at silver linings of this kind of monumental change uh, during the pandemic, we have been able to expand access like you alluded to. We do um, also conduct telehealth visits uh, here at our cancer center. And like you said, I think this is kind of an imperative skill moving forward for trainees of all levels, right? Because like you said, um, in terms of disparities, whether it be geographic, socioeconomic, or other sort of barriers that lead to seeking care, this is one of the tools we have. So definitely a, a good thing that's come out of the pandemic, if we can say anything like that. Um, Shifting gears, I I wanted to hear a little bit about some of the research challenges trainees face during the height of the pandemic and afterwards as well. Yeah, I think that that is, you know, really hard um, because as everything shut down, similarly did, you know, laboratories for anybody who was interested in doing bench science, um, the focus on some of the studies also changed quite a bit. I think most trainees ended up doing, you know, COVID-related research. I think that's what we all did. We were trying to understand what was happening. It was the projects that were available. It was the patients that were available. Um, and like I have friends who, for example, were in labs and their labs changed completely to develop now vaccines or to develop new tests. Um, um, for diagnosing COVID and trying to understand, you know, the immunology behind the patients who had severe infection versus those that didn't, um, et cetera. So it really changed quite a bit how people did research and the types of research um, that they did. And if we think of our more classical clinical research or clinical trials, those were completely shut down um, in terms of people not having, you know, access to seeing patients directly in clinic to enroll them on a trial, or if you were seeking for um, new participants for a specific intervention study or a survey, or even getting samples for some translational work, like none of those things were available, um, really. Um, One of the, I think, again, if we think about what are the positives, of course, big data is something that always is accessible. So I think people have to pivot and think about whether they were going to take on new COVID projects or if they had access in their institution at one of the big, you know, cancer registries or databases, try to use that 
um, as a as a pivot um, point in new in new projects. Um, but you know, several things like the Veil workshop and different career development opportunities that trainees use to get um, to get experience and to get new research methods were canceled or were moved and delayed for a year. So people were graduating fellowship. Um, so it became quite, I think, a, a challenge on trying to get the skills um, on not having meetings in which you get new ideas or, you know, the scientific meetings in which you're able to go and present your work and highlight it for others and just having all of those move to virtual or being canceled. Um, it's something that definitely affected a lot of our trainees. Um, and overall, I think lack of, you know, connecting with mentors similarly because there's this organic um, aspect of relationship building and mentorship that happens when you're in a clinic together, when you're sharing a workspace um, with your teachers um, in faculty. And if we're all working remotely, some of that is also lost. Um, so at the same time, makes it harder to make, you know, those connections of, I saw this very interesting case, why don't we do a retrospective chart review about it? Or, oh, Dr. You know, Kraft, what are you working on? Is there any projects I can help you with? Um, so I think those were all some of the of the challenges faced um, by our trainees and, and by myself, for example. Um, I don't know, um, Sam, do you have other thoughts or experience yourself similarly? Yeah, I mean, certainly in all of these domains, I think like you correctly alluded to, we've all really struggled. Um, when it came to research challenges, um, thankfully, I had had at least one um, research mentor identified at my uh, residency institution prior to the outbreak of the COVID virus. That being said, um, moving on and trying to identify new projects or uh, looking for other sorts of opportunities to develop research acumen were severely limited. But um, keeping in line with your optimistic uh, viewpoint on, on the silver linings, um, I, I agree with you because there was such a shift in a lot of the research priorities while we were trying to find vaccines towards COVID-19. It seems like a lot of that has uh, translated well into the oncology research arena as well. We know that there are a lot of vaccine trials that are incorporating that mRNA technology that was used so successfully for the COVID um, immunizations that are now being looked at in various solid tumors like melanoma, breast, et cetera. And I think that the public acceptance and familiarity with this technology will hopefully lead to greater uh, uh, amounts of enrollment moving forward. So certainly um, we have to keep in mind that there were some um, positives with this change as well. Um, finally, I wanted to ask you, and you alluded to a couple already in terms of career challenges, but were there any other career challenges uh, specifically for trainees you'd like to highlight that were really challenging, especially at the height of the pandemic? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that there's there's many, right? I think that we all worried about how much oncology, like knowledge or training people were getting if they were not necessarily seeing as many cases or seeing as many new diagnoses and, and people being diagnosed with later stages. Um, I think we all worry quite a bit about people um, you know, feeling burnt out and tired and stressed with everything that was happening in the world, um, from COVID to a lot of, um, you know, social disruption around the country with events like the murder of George Floyd. Um, and similarly, you know, seeing how everything in hospitals was changing, being 
um, in social isolation in an apartment or in your home without your friends and without sometimes being able to see your family. Um, I think that that aspect really needs to be, you know, we need to pay attention to it because we have now literally, um, you know, classes of of people who graduated residency during a pandemic and now are graduating fellowship and still, you know, the tail end of this pandemic. Um, so a lot of the training has been disrupted in which if, if we're doing lectures completely remotely, if we're doing many meetings that are still remote, um, then our interactions as individuals really are lost. Um, and I know that different institutions have you know, different levels and how much they're back to full in person. Um, some of them, everything is back to normal as it was before, but some like mine still have very, you know, substantial amount of activities and lectures and things happening remotely. Um, so for me, it's always that worry when we think about burnout and mental health of our trainees and this community building that is very classical of medical training, um, thinking about ways in which we don't lose that again. Yeah, certainly. And I think, like you said, maybe the most palpable of those changes has been the transition either to hybrid or completely virtual learning environments and the transition back to either hybrid or, uh, as you said, kind of completely normal uh, environments that also has its challenges with it. Really hard to walk the line between safety and making sure that educational and other objectives like just being uh, social creatures are met, certainly. So thanks for highlighting that. Um, I guess I wanted to kind of close off this discussion by asking you if there were any other difficulties in medical education for trainees during the pandemic you consider highlighting, um, keeping in mind we just discussed the learning environment a bit. Yeah, um, I think the, you know, the other big thing to think about is recruitment and thinking about how people select their training programs and how people select their job and index, you know, position, whether it's in private practice or faculty. Um, and because there was so many restrictions and still there are for fellowship recruitment, that has been really challenging um, in which people have not been able to really, you know, travel and get to know others. Um, interviews for fellowships are still happening remotely. So it's really hard to think about how you're going to choose a place in which you're going to live for two to four years or more. Right. And that is that, you know, stepping stone into becoming a specialist, and many times even people stay as, as faculty in the places in which they train um, or close by without having been there, um, without, you know, visiting the city or visiting the hospital, getting to know the people, knowing what living in X or Y place would look like. Um, and I'm quite, you know, I think, I think that virtual interviews have some benefits, of course, they decrease cost and time and make it easier for people to interview more places when you're super busy as a resident. Um, but I do wonder to a certain degree if we're going to see that people are more limited and staying within the area of what is known or where they went to college or medical school or where they have family um, just because of that factor of being unable to connect with others. Um, and similarly, how are those experiences then once you've met and arrived, if you really didn't get a sense of what is the environment, the community of the program, um, the personalities of the people that you're going to work with and interact with, because um, those are so important to us as, as social beings. 
Yeah, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. Um, the One of the biggest kind of milestones in any trainee's career is that residency or fellowship interview trail, right? Getting to know the institutions, the people of the institutions, the communities of that institution, the patients of that institution is just so crucial in helping one select um, his or her kind of preferred institution when going through that match process. And of course, Losing a lot of that through the virtual environment may have benefits, like you said, in terms of time, um, air pollution, these sorts of things, but certainly has some drawbacks in terms of really identifying the key areas you're looking to develop yourself as you go through the career. So I think uh, time remains to be seen. Um, I just recently went through the interview trail myself and only had one in-person option, uh, and that was as of two years ago. I'm not sure how the um, landscape will change for years to come, but certainly a, a big changes to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, and then, unfortunately, our, our time is wrapping up, but I just wanted to conclude with one final question. Um, I noticed you were very busy at ASCO this year, and I was wondering if you wanted to highlight any research piece that you uh, presented or were part of a research team for. Oh, thank you for asking that. Um, definitely. You know, we I presented work um, that was related to workforce development and medical education, similar to what we're talking about today. That is one of my areas of main interest. Um, and one of the projects that we presented was actually looking at attrition of faculty in oncology and primarily thinking of who is leaving our field or who intends to do so. Um, and unfortunately, we've seen a trend increasingly of people shifting or making career changes over time. Um, and primarily since the pandemic, it seems to be heightened, at least, you know, um, I think that we have, we, we still have to see the jury's out of whether that is truth um, or not. But we've seen this trend in social media and in other places, seeing more people move towards industry or towards other jobs in, you know, um, private institutions compared to our classical academic. Um, and one, as we think through what are all of the challenges that trainees and, and people in, in medical education face, similarly as they access to having mentors and faculty, right? And seeing faculty that are happy and that are engaged in their job um, and that are feel supported and are able to provide teaching and you know work with you on research projects and role model how to have work-life balance. Um, and it seems like that is getting harder every day. Um, so some, one of the projects that we did was using a survey that AMC pulls out of medical school faculty across the nation and looking at who is saying within the oncology specialties that they are intending to leave to their current practice and intending to leave um, you know, their, their current institution and in academic medicine in general. Um, and what we found was that after adjusting for, you know, like rank, age, the type of specialty, if you have admin responsibilities or not, really women were significantly more likely to say that they were going to leave their current job and at least move institutions. Um, and a majority of those who were intending to leave also were intending to leave academics in general. Um, so I think as we have seen a lot of revolution of how we deliver education, of how we do research, of how we deliver care. We have to think similarly about what are the things that are making some of this job hard um, and what are the ways in which we can improve morale and improve how people are supported in their jobs and their ability to see growth, I think, in the positions that they have. Because 
if you're happy and you're seeing that you have goals that you can achieve um, and that are uh, you're in a supportive environment where you can achieve them, um, that it becomes a lot easier to, you know, find meaning in the work that you're doing on a day to day. Um, so I'm hopeful that a lot of our newer generation as people are training now come energized and think about also ways in which we can start transforming um, healthcare and transforming academics. Um, so we see less of an exodus of some of the great talent that we have. Yeah, and I think that question is really crucial, not only to the oncology workforce, but like you said, trainees, right, when looking for mentors. We know that having a healthy and diverse sort of uh, set of role models to look up to is really what helps the field, but also our patients at the end of the day. So thank you for participating in that really crucial research, and hopefully um, this will help serve as a call for action to institutions, especially like the academic ones you were highlighting, um, to really be more flexible and, and accommodating, not only in terms of recruitment, but also in retainment of faculty. Um, all right. So I wanted to say thanks again to Dr. Velasquez Manana for joining us on this episode of the Fellows Forum. Um, it was a great honor to have you today, um, and we look forward to collaborating again in the future. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun.